Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Canesport.com Reflections as we take a walk down memory lane with some of the greatest names in Miami Hurricanes history. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, joined as always by my co-host for these reflection segments, uh, Bruce Warner. And Bruce, today we have a guest that I think a lot of people are going to recognize. He's a, he's a man that might be responsible for everything, really, that we've seen at the University of Miami over uh, the last three, four decades. Um, a, a guy who, had he not done what he did, we might have never seen an, an, even one national championship, much less, much less five of them. This should be just a, a great moment for everybody. Yeah, well, you know, when you go through life, Gary, and you and I have been, we've been through a few things, there's days and moments in time that you just never forget. Like as a Yankee fan, I remember watching Reggie Jackson hit three home runs on three consecutive pitches in the World Series in 77. And things like that. You just watch things, and, you're, and you'll never forget where you were and what you did in the yelling and the screaming. Well, speaking of yelling and screaming, when this guy made his play back in 1984, and i got to tell you something before I even introduce him. I've watched that thing about 500 times. I could swear that maybe three times he touched the ball. In the other times, it looked like he didn't touch it at all. But when, you, when they you show the close-ups of it, you could see it. You could see it, but from the distance, it didn't seem like he touched it. But anyway, I've got the legend on the phone, and he's my buddy, and he's just a great friend of Kane Sport, Kenny Calhoun. And Kenny, welcome to the show, buddy. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me, Bruce and, and Gary. Appreciate it. Well, Kenny, let's cut right to the chase since Bruce just brought yeah, it Yeah, cut up. to the chase. <laughs> because cause I'm with him, okay? I've watched this play 500 times at least myself. And he's absolutely right. We didn't have HD video back then. The, the picture right. was not very sharp like it is today. Uh, and certainly the old videotapes that you watch on YouTube and stuff are not really good. They're, they're grainy and, and all kinds of things. So, so let's, just, let's just cut to the chase. Let's be honest. Did you touch the football? Absolutely. I deflected the ball. Um, <laughs> I really, I really, I really um, deflected it pretty solid with my, my right two finger, middle finger. So um, the pressure of the ball when it hit my, my fingers, I knew at that point, you know, that um, it was enough to, uh, you know, change the pattern of the ball, the flight of the ball. So, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a touching of the ball. Yeah, I, I saw it on replays when they've slowed it down. And when they slow it down and it's a clear digital picture, you can see his finger or fingers on the football. It's crystal clear. But when you're watching it in regular motion and you see the guy, he's open. It looks like the pass is going to be there. Uh, it could look like he just dropped it, but that was a hell of a play, and it's the, I, I guess it's the play of, of the history of the Miami Hurricanes because it sticks right out there with some clutch basketball shots and home runs and all kinds of walk-off homers and things like that. In Miami Hurricane football history, it's right up there. This is it, maybe. Yeah, well, I'm so, dead serious. You know, growing up. I was just going to say, I'm dead serious. Up, I don't you know, know that all these national titles happen, Kenny if you don't make that, that play against Nebraska in the 1984 Orange Bowl? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we don't know that. Um, we, we don't know the, the, uh, the course of the history of the University of Miami if those things didn't occur, um, you know. But um, we were in a good place. The coaches prepared us well uh, for that night, for that play. I mean, Coach Nellenberger led us the whole whole way. Uh, he spoke to the media. 
he put the media in the uh, the college football world uh, at, at a lull because he didn't want us to really get discovered until we did, and, and it worked for us. So it was a plan that he orchestrated to the fullest, and we had the greatest coaches in college football at that time, and they really did their homework to put us in a position to make plays. So, you know, we had the athletes to make plays, and you have to make plays. You know, I love the quote Santana Moss, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. So you have to make the plays when it counts. And um, when you're growing up, a lot of kids, a lot of men would want to be in a position where they can make a play to impact the outcome of the game. So um, I, I got an opportunity to do that. At that time, we didn't know I, the, the, the winning of the game would uh, morph into, you know, us winning the national championship because it was a couple of days where, you know, the polls had to vote and, and determine who they thought would be the national champion. So let's go back to that moment, and then, of course, we're going to go forward. But going back, first of all, what was your thought process when, uh, when, uh, when the coach decides to go for it uh, instead of taking an extra point, which probably would have given Nebraska the national championship? And then, well, you ha- and then you have to make an adjustment on the fly. Oh, my God, they're going for it. You don't have all day to think about what they're going to call. So talk us through your, what you, when you first found out you're on the sidelines or you're on the field, they're going to go for it. And then how much time did you have and what was the play call getting ready for that last defensive stand? Well, a- actually, it was no time to think about their decision. It, 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 on the field, it was, you know, we had a little break and, uh, and then, you know, it it was like no doubt that they were going to go for it. I mean, I had like no doubt that they would go for it. And then the call was made by Tom Osborne to go for it. So uh, we practiced for that, that play for that moment during the, uh, you know, time off that we had. Um, We had like one of the longest uh, spans of time off after a regular season uh, because we had no bye games. We played 11 straight games. So we had, about 30 days to prepare for these guys. And we, we, did, we put that play in for the play that they ran. So we were prepared for that play that, uh, that they called. And this is a power running team, one of the greatest running teams in the history of college football. Yet they're in there like the two or the three-yard line or wherever they mark it off at, and you guys were ready for a pass. Is that right? We were ready for everything. Okay. Everything. So what was your key on that play? You saw, what, the back coming out of the backfield? Well, so um, that that play was 55 double-dog trio. So the line was to get pressure upfield right away. Uh, The linebackers, the double-dog call was for the the linebackers to blitz and uh, put pressure on on Turner Gill, which they did. Uh, And he'll talk about it and say, hey, he threw the ball. He was – threw it behind him, but it was the reason he threw it behind him because of the pressure of the linebackers in, in the front. The front, And uh, this was the first time we called this trio coverage, which means that the uh, free safety and myself will co- combo our receivers, uh, which, which means that I would get the back if it go in the flat and, and, and uh, Eddie would get the uh, 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 Irvin Fryer if he came across the middle. Mm-hmm. So we, we practiced that, and that's exactly what happened. And you just react. So it's kind of like a reaction, you know, to the flow of the, the play. And, and that's what I did, um, just reacted. And, and you know, you, you play better when you react and you don't think. So, you know, that was my uh, my take on it. 
Well, do you remember what happened after he made that play? Or you're, it's a fog all these years later? Because I think most of us are still in a fog about that, that and what happened on the field. It was just incredible. What an incredible event. That really was mind-boggling. You know, that was right up there with, I think, like the year before. I was, I was at the Chargers and the Dolphin game that went like double right. overtime. That was right. unbelievable. Well, here we are in the same field and something miraculous happens again. So um, do you recall what was going on and what happened in that locker room? Oh, well, you know, actually the locker room, Coach Nellenberger just, you know, it was a combination. It's something that we felt, and, and, and I want to include the city of Miami because they were great. They believed just like we believe. So everyone uh, – bought into Coach Nellenberger and, and, and his, his uh, plan for a national championship. And things started falling into place. You know, we, we started winning games. And uh, the culmination in the locker room is pretty much Coach Nellenberger say, hey, I told you this is what you need to do. You guys did it. You went out there and, and won the game. And uh, it was just, uh, you know, we were like loving on each other. We we accomplished our goals, so it was fulfilling to be in in that situation at the time. Have you spoken Penny, to any of the Nebraska it? players in the last thirty seven years, and are they still like still in disbelief? Have you spoken to any of those guys after all these no, years? No, I, I have I have not spoken to any of the uh, Nebraska players that wow. played. You never saw Irving Fryer or anybody else. I have not, not not personally. That would have been interesting. All right, go ahead, Gary. Kenny, how often have you watched it yourself? I mean, Bruce has watched the 500. I've watched the 500. How many times have you watched it? I would say, realistically, um, watching the, the whole game, maybe uh, 20, 25 times. That's the, the, good. The game. Are you still yeah. nervous on how that the, play? How, no. how about the play? <laughs> oh, the man. Play? Well, there you go. That's 500, 1,000 times. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's – I've watched what? that um, many times. Well, I mean, how many people I, in their I, I lifetime? Continue to watch it. Hey, yeah, who who gets an oper- Who gets a moment like that in their life? I mean, I can't remember one in my life even remotely close to that. I'm sure Bruce can't either. I mean, where you have you're put in a position to make a play like that that has such a pr- profound impact on it, on a program and history and everything like that, and and it's something that's going to live forever. And you know, it, you just don't get those opportunities as human beings. And I, I and I'm sure it's really really special for you. But um, what I want to do right this moment is I want to take you back to 1981. And Howard Schnellenberger, okay. was a, was a, he was a couple years into his master plan of building Miami football, and he comes to Titusville, Florida, to see a young Kenny Calhoun, who's in high school at, at that time. And you were convinced to come to the University of Miami. Take us into that living room. What did they tell you? And what made you choose to come to Miami at that point in time? Well, um, Coach Tom Olivadotti was recruiting me. He was our defensive coordinator. And um, my my high school coach, Tom, uh, Jay Donnelly, was a, a, a Gator fan. We, we, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Wilbur Marshall, I played with Wilbur, and, and they, they became Gators. And, and that's kind of like Gator territory, as we know. And that that's really like the, the tip or – tip of the, the state of Miami, you know what I mean, that that Brevard County. So uh, Tom came down there and recruited me, and um, uh, Coach Donnelly's wife, Judy Donnelly, she was a, a graduate from the University of Miami. 
So um, I, I had a talk with Coach Donnelly and say, hey, Coach, uh, I'm being offered a scholarship, you know, in, you know, Florida, Miami. And he said, hey, grab it. Take that, take that offer. So um, he, he shared that with me at that time, and, and I, I accepted, you know, the, uh, the offer, the, the letter of intent to play at the University of Miami. Although, you know, it wasn't known like it is today, you know, I chose to do that. And, uh, it, it, you know, I got my degree, and uh, we won a national championship, and, and things uh, worked out awesome for me there. And what was it like playing for Howard? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, Howard was great to play for. Um, you really had to be a, a tough individual. Uh, he purposely uh, trained us really hard to run off those individuals that they, they felt wasn't suited to be a cane. So once that happened, he could, you know, start coaching. His philosophy was to run off about 15% of the, the, the athletes, and he didn't uh, start learning your name until you became a starter. So um, playing for him was awesome. It was a great experience. I, I learned a lot. You know, I, I, I turned into a man uh, in like 30 days, and that, those 30 days were like a month of August, you know, going through those, those workouts. Um, so it was, it was a great plan for Howard. Who came in with you? Give us some of the names of some of your teammates that came in with you back then. Uh, Darren McMurray, uh, Dallas Cameron, Keith Walker, uh, Kyle Vandeway. Um, man, um, who else came in? I, I think, um, um, you know, those are the names I can come up right now. We had about 18, I believe, came in with my class. And then you go through uh, that season, and then the '82, and then the '83 season, which you guys got blown out by Florida. Uh, what was your thought process after that? And then you, and then look what happens. But you must. What did Howard say about that? Well, see, um, we look at it differently. I, I don't really look at it as, as a blowout. So we were playing a very good Florida team at Florida Field, and when you fumble, you know, like the kickoff on the first two uh, kickoffs. You know, and you give them the ball in their red zone, and they score fourteen to nothing, um, and, and they beat you twenty-eight to three. You know, I, I considering you take that away. You know, we, we were in the ball game, but that that definitely changed the outcome of the game. Those early turnovers. So after that, you know, on the field, man to man, we played uh, well enough to win. We played well enough to win. All right, and then you run the table, and you get to the end, and you find out you're playing Nebraska, uh, who some considered, I think Gary will agree, that back in, back then they thought was the best college football team ever assembled to that point in time. And you find out you're playing them, but you're playing them in the Orange Bowl. What are your thoughts? Oh, you, know, you know you're a big underdog. This is a powerful team. Uh, knowing Howard the way Gary and I know him, I'm sure he had you guys revved up from, from the get-go to get ready for this game. Well, man, it was the perfect matchup for us. Um, you know, we, we we felt we could beat anyone in the nation. We felt like we had, like, the best offensive attack. You know, Coach Nellenberger brought the uh, offensive uh, scheme from the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and we, we had a really good defense. We had a good run defense and a, a better pass defense. And we knew – that if we could get ahead of Nebraska, being that they were a running team, you know, 
that the, the odds were in our favor. And, you know, pretty much that's exactly how the game played out. Um, they came back strong in the end. But, um, you know, we were up enough, long enough for them not to have the time to come back and run over us. So we felt, you know, playing Nebraska, we, we had an excellent opportunity to win the game. Yeah, and that, and, turned, and out the the goal, yeah. that turned out to be the precursor for the, for the 80s because they beat Oklahoma several times by getting out ahead, and they couldn't catch up because they ran that silly wishbone offense. And so finally, you know, maybe in, in the 70s, I mean in the, in the 90s, <laughs> they, they, they did a little better, but you guys showed the blueprint how to beat these types of teams. Yeah, that we, we put that out there in college football and – you know, you saw many other teams, you know, adapting, you know, that offensive style of play. And also, defensively, it forced teams to change to be able to get the, the defensive backs to run with these receivers. And uh, so, yeah, we, we – I mean, we trendsetters. We, we, we've done a lot. The University of Miami, we changed college football, like, year in and year out. Kenny Howard Schnellenberger is one of the most – has maybe as great a presence as anybody I've been, ever been around in in you know 40 45 years in sports and you're sitting there you win the national title and you're you're a junior you still have another year to play and Howard leaves he he goes he takes us you know he, he's, I'm sure he's kicked himself about a million times between then and now but but he's told he, everybody he that and, too Gary he yeah I mean he 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 goes to take a job with the USFL and i mean he had been the face of your of the program i mean let's be honest i mean you know he he was the program and you know now poof he, he's gone take us into your mind into the team's mind on that day that Howard Schnellenberger walked out the door wow when that happened when i learned about it it, it took something out of me I, it was like I wasn't the same person. I really – it didn't feel like I was the same player. Um, it, it just was really depressing, you know, to have to – you know, it's like losing a, a family member, your father, you know. It it was um, it was hard. It was really hard uh, to be placed in that situation and have to go on and, and give your best and uh, – so, yeah, you know, you just have to man up, and, and that's what we did. You know, we did the best we could without him with the, the transition of the new coaches, Coach Jimmy Johnson, you know, who I, I think the world loved as well. I just didn't have the time to spend with him like I did with Coach Snellenberger. But it was a, it was a, it was a bad pill. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not for Coach Snellenberger because you got to uh, pounce on your opportunities because they're fleeting. So I, I understand that part of it, but it – it just, it you know, I was saddened by it. Why did 1984 go so poorly? Was the was the the, the team not never really recovering from Howard walking out the door? Did that have an impact in it? I know the coaches were kind of at each other's throats a lot that year because Jimmy was forced to keep um, a good portion of Howard's staff, and it, it, they're just the chemistry wasn't there, and and Jimmy didn't really become Jimmy until he was able to change that. But t- tell us what went on in 1984. Well, Gary, um, everything went on that you just mentioned. You know, um, you know, you have the transition coming in. You have uh, new coaches coming in. So down to the players, you know, we had to transition into morph into something 
uh, that wasn't identified yet. Um, so, you know, we, we, they changed a couple schemes and put in some things and, and, uh, you know, uh, that that group at the time maybe wasn't as good as the group we had before. Uh, not not naming any, but um, uh, it, it's just that we wasn't we didn't have the same coaching staff and we were were not the same team. And uh, you know, and some some teams that beat us did some some miraculous things to beat us uh, during that year, especially the Maryland game and the Doug Flutie game. You know, you you remove those games and now we're nine and two instead of seven and four. So um, we wasn't far off. It's just, you know, you have big-time players have to make big-time plays and big-time games, and we didn't make them that year. Yeah, Gary. The the pride that you guys must have had as the years passed and the the, the University of Miami kept winning national titles and just knowing that you started it, that that, that you got the ball rolling. And, and yeah, Jimmy, obviously – once he got things settled beginning in 1985 kind of brought it back together and, and, and took it to a whole nother level. And it, it just, it just marched onward from there. But you guys must've had an incredible sense of pride during the rest of that decade of the eighties. Once you were off out of school and we're just observing what was going on. Yeah, we, we still have that pride, Gary, um, you know, you know, and I tell a lot of people in the state of Florida, we were the, you know, first uh, Division One football team to win a national championship in the state of Florida. You know, our 1982 Miami Hurricane baseball team did the same thing. So, you know, I, I speak to the football. But, um, man, just to, to win a national championship, you know, be the first in the, in the state of Florida, uh, be the first at the University of Miami, to be a part of, of the city of Miami and, and be a part of that team, be a part of the University of Miami. Uh, it, it didn't really get any better than that. Yeah, just think, had they uh, not blown the game against Penn State and one loss in, I think it was 88, that they, they, they could have avenged, and they would have, so they won 87, 89, 91, 80, 83 season. They could have won five or six all within a 10-year span, which is un- unbelievable. Uh, even Even – just playing in the national title game like seven or eight times during that span of time is incredible when you think about it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Bruce, you're absolutely right. To be in a position, like you said, to to play in those games, you know, and just to have that talent, you know, because one or two players uh, changes the chemistry of, of, of the football team, and they seem to always, they, meaning University of Miami, be in a position to have that chemistry, to have that 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 brotherhood to to play well enough to get to those games. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure because Gary's had this on his on his on his board a million times. But when Jimmy got here, most of us that were following the program thought, "Oh my God, where did they find this guy from?" And then when he <laughs> leaves and they bring in Dennis, they bring in a guy from Washington State. Who who the hell is this guy going to bring in? Playing down in South Florida in the three hundred five, he wins two right. national championships. It's it's just incredible the talent level what? and the. He went they, two national, but those guys had great coaches though. Two national championships. While he was letting the program decline, which is what's really amazing, right. um, you right. know, once, <laughs> once they won, once they won, I mean, the the program really was, it, uh, you know, other than the fact that Dennis had this revolutionary offense, and 
you know, was able to get through the first three seasons, that the program really was going through a, a steady decline there. Uh, and, and once all of the Jimmy recruits graduated out of the program, Dennis got to a point where he just couldn't maintain the same standard. And um, so uh, I thought the fact that he actually won two national titles was more amazing than, than what a lot of people probably realized at the time because we were all so but most of those guys these, were jimmy's all... guys though yeah no doubt Gary, but we, Kenny, we, we, most we of those guys were jimmy's guys and 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 there's a phrase for that the inmates ran the asylum and they did i mean you know yeah, the guys yeah. that i'm friendly with they they ran the yeah. asylum and the cotton ball was the epitome of these guys running the asylum and yeah, it, it eventually yeah, stopped working, you know, it stopped working. And, you know, we had all just gotten so used to the winning and it just took it for granted. And, you know, I, I, that's why I'm saying I don't think people realize how amazing it was that they won those two national titles because the program was not being run the same way that it was under Jimmy Johnson. And, and there was not the same level of mental discipline by any stretch of the imagination. And um, obviously a tribute to those guys that they were able to win d- despite that. But, you know, conversely, Kenny. So now we're all sitting here, you know, former players, you know, old guys like Bruce and myself who have been around, you know, going back to the 70s and have seen all this and experienced it and obviously have a great appreciation for it. Conversely, these last 17 years or so have been pretty rough. And, um, y- you know, I-, I know last year, you know, I'm watching them lose to FIU and Louisiana Tech. And I'll be the first one to step up and say, I just totally beside myself at everything that went on the last 12 months. It, it, to me, it's, it's just unbelievable. And I know how badly the former players and the fan base want to see that change. And um, what is that like to be part of the history, part of the great history? And now like you're watching Alabama and Clemson be what Miami was. And, uh, you know, talk about what that's like, just watching it all now as a spectator and not being able to control it with your physical skills. It, it's very painful. It, 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 it hurts to watch. And, uh, you know, it's unbelievable uh, for the University of Miami to find uh, ourselves in, in a position where the teams that you mentioned, FIU, um, beat us. Um, it, it, it's tough, but you know, if you if you look into the game and you see what's happening, we, we're losing the recruiting uh, down in South Florida. You know, you have several players and on those top teams that you mentioned from the from the state of Miami, from Miami, and they they just for some reason the lack of uh, rec- Miami recruiting them, going to those other schools and having a passion to want to beat the crap out of us, and, and it works for them. Uh, you know, um, we just, you know, we, we have to get better talent, um, better coaches uh, to, to put us back in a position to win. Um, you know, you, you don't change the, the blueprint. You know, you get the players that um, can get you there. Yeah, but, we, you know, we've been talking about this for the last year or two, Kenny, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on now that may have gone on back then, but now everybody seems to know about it because of social media and all these street agents and all the underlying things that go on. It's not easy anymore. You know, I spoke to a bunch of guys. I know Mark Caesar was one and Ham, Hamlet was another. There was like six of them that went down to see Jimmy 
that was the first leg of their Florida, Florida State, Miami, I think maybe one other school. And he got, they got to Miami first, and they said, all right, well, thanks, you know, thanks a lot. You know, we'll let you know. And he says, where are you going? He says, we're going to Florida. He says, no, you're not. You go to Florida, don't come back. All six of them signed within a day or two. Whatever, they all committed. They said, we're not going anywhere. All six right. of them. You know all these guys. Right. Leon was in that group. So they said, we're not, that's it. They didn't go. They just stayed there. You can't do that anymore. Those things right. are over. So the whole thing, the whole dynamic. So now it's about winning. Winning and the attitude. These kids announce on ESPN or whatever, and they say what LeBron said 10, 12 years ago. I'm taking my talents South Beach. I'm taking my talents to Clemson. I'm taking my talents to LSU, and, and and they all and they throw in for the next three or four years. They're already halfway out the door after three years. That's the mentality of these kids. So it's kind of hard to get into their brains and get them to commit. Now, I guess Saban can do it, and Dabo does it, and a few other coaches can do it. But we haven't had the consistency at coach at, at, as a head coach. We haven't had really really good head coaches. So when you it's a, it's a culmination of all these negative things that's causing Miami to be where they are. I'm hoping they could turn it around this year. They seem to be putting the brakes on and turning the corner, but we'll see if there's even a season this year. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, we talked about Jimmy and, and, and Howard, and you talked about the the other coaches for the the other schools that are doing well currently, but it, it's, it's the approach of the, the head coach, you know, the coach can kind of direct, you know, a young um, athlete's uh, direction. And, um, and and that's what's happening. So we, we don't – our coaches are not able to do that like they once did. And it, it's, a de- it's definitely affecting, you know, our, our level of play. Um, you know, we're not getting the athletes that we once did. I mean, you know, we, we didn't really need the coaches with the, the, the talent we had. Um, and then once you get, you know, a, a, a couple of good seasons under your belt, you know, maybe maybe the the uh, student the athletes around believe again. But it's the head coach that ha- that talks to those, those kids directly, and they they see something in the coach, something that the coach has said, and then they believe it, and then they make that decision based on their conversation. So if the coach can't win it, then you know that's just the, how it goes. You can't win. Yeah. Well, the Manny's I think Gary credit. will agree because he was talking about uh, about uh, Manny Diaz last year, and he made a lot of decisions that were probably not in the best interest. It was almost like he wanted to be the coach and their father and their best friend all rolled into one, and you can't do that. And a lot of these guys just tuned it out, and it showed in the last few games. They were tuned out. You can't have that. Well, to his credit, uh, he was good. not in denial about it, Kenny. You know, he, he made he, – he, he didn't – like say, hey, I got this. I'm doing everything great. I'm the best head coach in the country. Uh, he made some some pretty major changes here, and you know you don't want to have to replace three coaches on one side of the ball like he did, but he really needed to, and he he made those changes. He he's he's hired a offensive coordinator who's bringing in a, an up tempo spread offense that has a lot of people excited. They were able to in tandem go and get a quarterback in De'Ara King who is a really good athlete. He's a little guy. We know we'll see how it works out over the course of a season. Uh, but I think he's better than what they've been playing with. And he, and he's, he brings some leadership uh, qualities with him. And so now they got a, a, a guy that, that can lead the offense 
So there's some positive things going on. They got Ed Reed back involved a little bit. So there are some positive things going on, and and Manny is doing some things to give himself a chance. And I don't know if you've looked at the schedule for this season, but it's very favorable. And and, and I really think they can win nine, maybe even ten games this year if they can just get their act a little bit together. Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, being the head coach, you're going to have to make some uncomfortable decisions. Uh, you know, personally, you may feel differently, but, you know, you have to think about the whole scope of it. You know, you're the, the head football coach for the University of Miami, so your 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 uh, decisions and, and uh, not making those decisions weigh greatly on others. So you can't just uh, look at it um, from your – your frame of view, you have to look at it, you know, from the University of Miami frame of view. So those those decisions are tough and hard, but that's why you're the head coach, and you need to make those decisions to to change the outcome of the seasons we've been having in the last 17 years, like you say, you know. So um, so we'll see. You know, I'm I'm a cane true and true. You know, the decisions that are made, I'm not there. So I, I don't know the reasons why the decisions are made, but I'm okay with it. And if they the outcome is better than, you know, the year before, then I'm riding with the University of Miami and, and, and Manny. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm back in Manny. I'm, I'm, I'm a Manny man. And, uh, you know, so I, I believe in him. So I'm, 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 I'm backing him. All right, before we let you go, I want to talk to you real quick about what you're doing today up in Orlando. And uh, if anybody out there needs a nice brand new house, uh, Kenny is working as the area manager up there for Lennar Homes and uh, building some really nice real estate. Believe it or not, they, Disney has still left a little bit of land up there in, in central Florida, right, Kenny? And, uh, and, and you're building some, some great homes on it. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, Stuart Miller is the leader for us, uh, Lennar Homes. Uh, my my mm-hmm. division president is Brock Nicholas, and he's a wonderful guy, and I, I thank him greatly for the opportunity. Um, you know, Darren McMurray is a, a division president over in the southwest in, in uh, Naples, so he, he's, uh, he's on board as well. Um, I'm working with Hurley Brown. He, he's uh, part of the uh, – Orlando division and uh, we wow. work together. That I knew. Um, that I knew. Yeah. So um, I'm an area manager, uh, one of four that we, uh, uh, you know, manage the, the 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 homes that are being sold and, and built in 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 our area, and, and want to make sure that we give the uh, the buyer a, 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 a great home home buying experience, and uh, we just want to have the home to be ready for them, and uh, it's it's my job. My, my team's job to, to make that happen in my particular area. So it's you have any on, pull? Uh, it'll be th- I was going to say, you have any pull to get pull? Canes fans like a little discount or something if they want a home up in Orlando? <laughs> can they, can I, I they, can they, yeah, can they drop sure, your name? Yeah, of course. 40, 40% off. Oh, sure. Yeah. Why not? Oh, yeah, no. Well, I don't know about 40, <laughs> but listen, if I go up there and I tell the sales staff, look, I was sitting in the orange bowl on at the beginning of January in 1984, and I watched Kenny Calhoun make one of the greatest plays in college football history. And because of that, I want 10% off my house. What do you think they'll say? Wow. You got it. All right. <laughs> you got it. Go ahead, Gary. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Come listen, on up. Man, it, it, Come on up. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's been it's been a, a hell of a good time here going back down memory lane with you and uh, obviously just a great great moment and uh, you know uh, obviously we're all proud of you but we also envy you because it's just to be able to live life with that type of moment on your resume has just got to be the most magnificent feeling and uh, so happy for you for that and happy for the Canes Nation that you've got it all going by making that play and they, everyone's been able to experience all these national championships and hopefully one day while we're all still here and yeah. we get we get rid of this damn coronavirus that's you know wreaking havoc and and we get the world back to normal hopefully one day we will get to see the Miami Hurricanes on that grand stage again thank you so much for your time on canesport.com reflections for kenny calhoun for bruce warner i'm gary Furman. thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time everybody